This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And good morning and welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. What's up, everybody? What's up, everybody? What's up, Selena? Da? What's up? Hey, okay. Doing a little sound check. Okay, so if you guys are looking or watching us via Ustream, you realize that I'm sitting in Stanley's seat. We got an emergency phone call, and he said he had so much fun last night that he just couldn't make it in today. I think he's hung over, and he's left us to fend for ourselves. Thanks, Stanley. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but he's not Isn't here because he he's actu- in Boston. Yeah, he's actually at the uh, Justice Works conference uh, learning how to organize that's what he said right that's what he said but it's all good i'm here i'm here with Alyssa. i'm here with darrell but let's give formal introductions my name is selena hill and since it's a formal introduction that means you have to know what my instagram and twitter handle is it's miss selena hill spelled with an ms because a lot of people spell it m-i-s-s so it's just m-s s-e-l-e-n-a-h-i-l-l and my name is Alyssa Fuchs, and you can find me on Twitter at Alyssa Fuchs, and that's spelled I-L-Y-S-S-A, or you can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs, also with an I, or the fan page Politically Preposterous on Facebook and Poll Preposterous on Twitter. No Instagram. I don't do Instagram. No, Actually, no. I run my job's Instagram, but I don't do Instagram. Okay. And we also have in the studio with us Darrell, a.k.a. Jazz Johnson, the man around town, the man of Harlem, the mayor of Harlem. Am I doing too much? You're, you're doing way too much. <laughs> Am I doing too much? Just a little bit. <laughs> Just a little. Oh, so we have Darrell in studio with us. He's a, been a friend of the show for a while now. He is a sports and entertainment journalist. And I know if I got that wrong, you would have definitely shot me like the fierce eye glance and then talked to me for 30 minutes after the show Absolutely. about your correct title. So Absolutely. I got it right. Thank you. Thank you. But um, we'll definitely give you a formal introduction after the break. But, you know, since you're already mic'd up, why don't you just give a little preview about who you are? Uh, Harlem native, first and, and, and foremost. Uh, lived my entire life uh, in Harlem and went to high school across the street. So, you know. Oh, wow. I, I know this area like the back of my hand. Uh, sports and entertainment journalist. Uh, just finished my fifth uh Season covering both the New York Knicks and the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I've been writing for the New York Beacon for almost five years now. Also contribute to the national outlet Rolling Out, uh, Harlem News, Manhattan Times, Harlem Times, Bronx Free Press, a few other outlets. Have a YouTube channel, uh, Raz and Jazz Sports, that you know does pretty well. So <laughs> I, I, I stay busy. Yes, you yeah. do. Renaissance man over here. Definitely. And um, speaking of going down your resume, you also interviewed Stephen Curry. And we all, did you guys see the video with his daughter? Like, it's been viral where yes. Riley comes in during the press conferences that he's been having. He's been doing it with his, like, two-year-old daughter who is completely adorable. She is, like, a little Beyonce in the making. <laughs> like, every time she's there, like, she'll grab the mic. And one time she started um, singing Big Sean's song, I'm, wait, um, I'm Blessed. Like, she is so adorable. Did you, like, interview her or was no, it just Stefan? I've never seen her before in, oh. in person. Oh, because they play in Golden State, so I'm a I'm a I'm a New York based journalist. So 
when when Stephen Curry comes here, um, I have chances to to speak with him. But I don't go to Oakland to speak with him. But I interviewed him actually about Mo- Monet Davis over the summer because Stephen played on the uh, on the FIFA uh, United States team. Uh, they have a uh, the, excuse me FIBA. I'm uh, <laughs> oh, no, about to say speaking of FIFA. <laughs> um, uh, so they had the the World Cup over the summer, which we won, of course, and. Uh, but Stephen Curry wasn't as popular. He wasn't over the summer as right. he is now. That's the only chance. That's the only reason why I had a chance to spend a couple of minutes talking to him because most of the media members were talking to Derrick Rose or or other um, players on the team. But Derrick Rose was the big story at the time because he had just came back from from injury, and there were people that were saying that he shouldn't have played on right. the United States team. He should wait until the season starts and pay play for the team that is paying him because if you play, you know, for the United States, you're not getting compensated. Right. Right. But, uh, you know, it's it's for country, not really for money. I mean, at least that's how I see it. If that's, you know, the kind of the route you take to play in those kind of competitions. You look in hockey, um, one of the guys who plays for the Washington Capitals, the Mm -hmm. day after they got eliminated, he got on a plane and flew to play in the the men's uh, hockey world championships Mm -hmm. with Russia. And, you know, he they ended up Russia didn't end up uh, or they meddled, but they like meddled third, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was it was like it wasn't about money. He did it because he cared about the sport, which I think is really what it's about. You know, speaking of sports. Yeah. Speaking of sports. We're starting the show off talking about one of the biggest corruption Biggest crisis in the world of sports, FIFA, as I'm pretty sure you guys know, is under the microscope. Um, 14 official top officials in FIFA are um, have been indicted and arrested for a number of corruption charges by our Department of Justice. So Attorney General Loretta Lynch is definitely on her P's and Q's right now. And they just filed this indictment. It is huge news. It's been trending uh, for a while on Twitter. And that's why we have Darrell here. Even though, you know, Darrell is always welcome. But we needed someone here with some sports expertise, especially because Stanley is not here. So Yeah, and my sports expertise is It, it stops at hockey. hockey. It yeah. stops <laughs> at the no, Rangers. It's, it's hockey and also baseball. I don't my I don't have an expertise in, in matters of football uh, or soccer, football. as it's called here. I, although I did live in England for a little while, so okay. I became quite consumed there. And from what I understand from talking to some of my friends, uh, this is not something that surprised them. Uh, but that's I know we're going to get into that conversation more in a little while. We're also today going to be talking about the floods in Texas um, and about climate change denial and how people's politics or political ideologies can, you know, come into conflict with real world events that are happening. Especially, and I actually saw a political cartoon today where a guy's like floating away and he's holding his sign that says like anti, you know, that climate change isn't real as a raft. And (laughs) yeah, like it was a political cartoon. It was meant to be funny. And I'm going to end out the show by um, giving you a a further update on what's going on with the Patriot Act and whether it may sunset. Congress is actually going to be in session today Mm -hmm. uh, trying to sort this out. I wish they weren't in session. I personally would have liked to see it sunset. But before we go to a quick break, I just also wanted to mention, if you guys haven't seen it, we were in the Source magazine this week. And you should definitely check 
check out Let Your Voice Be Heard's Twitter account and also our Facebook page. And you should check out an amazing article that the Source magazine did on us. Um, check it out. It's awesome. Like, we're all quoted. It's really good. If you if this is the first time listening to your show, I'll give you kind of a background as to what we do here. Um, and if it's not, then it's just you'll be excited to know that we were published. Uh, a story about us was published in the Source magazine. So yes. you should you should check that out. Definitely. On that note. Well, 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 the story will be published on all of our uh, social media accounts starting tomorrow. So you can definitely check us out on Be Heard underscore radio on Twitter and Instagram. And then let your voice be heard on Facebook. And we'll be um, pushing it out there. So. Definitely. And it's already on. It's up on Politically Preposterous already if you're interested in checking it out today. Um, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have a longer conversation about what's going on in the world of soccer. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And every Sunday we talk about politics, foreign policy, social justice, pop culture, and today sports. We hardly ever get to talk about sports. Only when there's some political or legal thing going on in the world of sports. I think the last episode we did on sports was um, around Super Bowl time. We oh, did yeah. Pass me, pass pass me, me that, that Super Bowl. Bowl. And, and it was quotation all, marks. It was all about whether or not NFL players should be allowed to smoke marijuana. You should check that episode out. Uh, it's in our archive shows. It's really a good, it was a really good episode. Really yeah, informative. Definitely. It's on our website, lyvbh.com. Of course, that's an acronym for Let Your Voice Be Heard. Check it out there. And also, subscribe to us, our podcast on iTunes. It's LYVBH Radio. So, if you guys can remember all of that, you're definitely awesome. And speaking of awesome things, we have in the studio with us Darrell Jazz Johnson. He is a sports and entertainment journalist from Harlem. And we're going to start the show off talking about FIFA, as I mentioned before the break. And again, my name is Selena Hill, and I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs. So... Last week, the world of football experienced a major shakeup uh, when the U.S. Department of Justice announced that several officials were arrested on federal charges. The DOJ indicted 14 people on corruption charges, which includes racketeering, wire fraud, money laundering, and money laundering conspiracy. According to Attorney General Loretta Lynch, and I quote, she said, these individuals and organizations engaged in bribery to decide who would televise games, where the games would be held, and who would run the organization overseeing organized soccer worldwide. So then... Some of the men who the U.S. prosecutors accuse of corruption, they've also been directly involved with organizing the FIFA World Cup, which is probably the biggest sporting event on the planet. It is. It is. Um, It's bigger than the Super Bowl. Yeah, definitely. It is international worldwide. Uh, The indictment also names sports marketing executives from the U.S. and South America who are accused of paying 151 million dollars in bribes and kickbacks in exchange for the rights to host, televise, and promote soccer tournaments. Authorities say that $110 million alone was used in effort to host the Copa America, oh god, this is in Spanish, Centenario? Cent- I was hoping Jazz could just like... <laughs> say it in Spanish! Let me see it. <laughs> like, uh, right here. <laughs> oh, sen- uh, here, hold on. That's the uh, Centurario. Centurario. Copa America Centario. Centario. That's my best. That's right the, there. The, the Central American Cup, correct? Right, in right. English. Copa, Thank you. Copa is cup, <laughs> yeah. Cup, yeah. Thank you for that. Um, so in the United States in 2016, from my understanding, we never had it here. And um, that's 
just they, they threw like 110 million dollars in bribery to get it hosted here in the United States. But despite the controversy circling around FIFA, Sepp Blatter was reelected to serve as the president of FIFA for a fifth term. It really wasn't shocking um, or surprising to a lot of people. He has a lot of influence. He's 79 years old, and he's been in in this position for years now. And he's basically, I mean. He's like the Don. Right. Like, he, he literally is the Don. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, there was little surprise that he was reelected despite all the controversy. It actually attests to how influential he is and some of the good things he did. He, I mean, he really turned FIFA around and he's um, running a lot of profit and a lot of money. I was actually reading this morning that he's been very good for women's soccer, mm-hmm. uh, that really promoting the women's, you know, the women's tournament. And, um, you know, and listen, there's always good things that people do that doesn't necessarily always make up for the bad things they do. Um, and then also you have just wanted to add to that. The U.S. actually voted against his reelection and the, the from what I understand the representative of the U.S. said that he was willing to vote against him even if it costs the U.S. their chance at potentially hosting a World Cup in the future. Um, but I was also thinking just from my experience in just criminal law generally that, you know, right now Sepp Blatter wasn't arrested but Heads are going to roll still like this. I don't think this will be the end of it. Uh, You know, what's going to happen now is now that there's been an indictment, some of these 14 people that were arrested are going to talk. Somebody's going to talk. And they're going to because 99 percent of the time somebody talks for leniency. I mean, like that's how it goes. And they're going to start divulging more and more information. I seem to think that we're going to see more indictments, more arrests and maybe even all the way up to the top. Although, as we know, sometimes it's hard to get the person at the top. They're sort of insulated. That's why they use conspiracy, because when you do conspiracy charges, it's easier to tie somebody at the top who doesn't actually have their hands on making a bribe or accepting a bribe. But, uh, I mean, that's how they got, um, what's his name? When they do organized crime, that's how they get the Don, Absolutely. right? They use conspiracy. They use RICO. And so they're proceeding well, under the same sort of legal theory. Well, Seb Blatter is not concerned at all. He's actually been down uh, downplaying it. He called it, and I quote, infractions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and he was yes. like, I'm not worried. He said, I'm literally not worried because the probe is ongoing. They're going to keep probing the institution. And he was like, don't worry. I'm not worried about the institution or myself. Um, in addition, he also questioned the timing of the U.S. prosecutor saying that his organization, and I quote, could have been contacted at another time, end quote, rather than two days before its Congress assembled for an election. So, I mean, it is kind of fishy that that's the time that the um, indictment came down. But to help us continue the conversation, um, I want to throw the first question at you, Durrell. Um, What exactly are the the FIFA executives, um, why exactly are they being prosecuted by the DOJ? Well, well, first, let let me just say the reason why they all were were arrested in, in Zurich is these are these are people from many different countries. So instead of them having to go to different countries to arrest people, they waited for them to all be in the same place. So they could arrest everyone. They had to work this out with the with the Swiss uh, authorities. Um, massive investigation uh, that's been going on for for over four years. It's been going on. Uh, obviously, uh, Loretta Lynch just became attorney general. She was working in New York, and that's where the case began. Uh, it, it it started as a money trail. Yeah. Um, and and it's you know ridiculous. I, I I don't remember the guy's name, but but there's a guy who had two apartments in Trump Plaza, 
one for himself and one for his cats. Which is, <laughs> which is, which it, it just goes to show you hey, that. somebody want to rent me an apartment? I right, know, right? right. For I'll his take, cats, I'll live right, with the I'll cats. Take, right, I'll live with the cats too. I'll take care of the cats, you know, whatever you need. I mean, Trump Plaza. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. They have a lot of big question, which maybe, I mean, between the two of us, we can clear up is why the case is venued in the Eastern District of New York in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And that's, as you pointed out, where Loretta Lynch was the uh, head of the bureau there mm-hmm. and then obviously was promoted to a higher position of attorney general and the case followed her. But the investigation starts out of Brooklyn, out of the Eastern District, because some of the crimes arose in the Eastern District. Essentially, what that means is at some point, some of these bribes were either made or taken or some of the racketeering enterprise took place within either Brooklyn, Queens or um Staten Island that would have that's the link to or Long Island that's the link back to the to the Eastern District and it's just just reading about it there's so I'm, I'm sure let's say it fascinates you from a legal perspective it does um, I was I was actually on the phone with a good friend of mine who's 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 a uh, attorney and and he was saying this is you know Rico was created for organized crime and a lot of these accusations are, are things that you would see within organized crime, with the exception of people getting killed, uh, at, at least to our knowledge. No one has been killed. But, you know, you had they're saying up to one hundred and fifty million dollars in bribes. Right. right. And then a lot of the offshoring of that money, because mm-hmm. what comes along next is once you have the money, once you take the bribes, mm-hmm. then what do you do with the money? Because right. you have to put it, you know. Somewhere through the laundry right. mat, so right. to speak. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so that's where the Caymans come in. So you have all these different confluences of things that you see, um, almost mixing sort of legal with mm-hmm. illegal. I mean, like offshoring of money is technically not illegal, but when you're doing it in connection with a money laundering scheme, then it becomes a lot more questionable. So, yeah, it does fascinate me from a legal perspective, especially the RICO aspect of it, because it is what they use for organized crime. Right. Um, Guys, if you're just tuning in, we're talking about the FIFA crisis with Darrell Johnson here in studio with us. Um, You can call us up if you have a question or comment about the crisis and the scandal. The number is 212-650-6903. So, you know, we know that this corruption has been going on for a while now. It just so happens that last week the DOJ pressed charges and the U.S. took lead in pressing charges on this international organization. Um, But the question, another question that arose is why is Seth Blatter not being charged at all? I mean, he is the head of this organization. The buck has to stop somewhere. And I'm pretty sure that he knew what was going on. I mean, what is what is his argument been? Didn't he say something like I can't oversee everything? Like, is that the best he could do? Well, that's the best he has to do right now, and and as as Alyssa uh, mentioned earlier, they're 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 going after him. But when you're when you're he's he runs FIFA, so he's FIFA is by far the most powerful sports organization in the world, no no question. Uh, as much as we talked about the Flategate in this country, right? I can't imagine how much the media around the world was talking about about this for years everyone had suspected that that fifa was corrupt uh people would even say they knew fifa was corrupt but you couldn't prove it until until now um so if they're going to go after him or when they go after him they want to make sure that you know they've got all of their t's crossed and their i's dotted 
they they want to make sure that they know they can get him and and that leads me to think that they're not 100 percent sure that they can get him but but no doubt several vps of fifa are involved were, were involved in this indictment so he's in contact with them on a regular basis he has to have known that there was corruption but it needs to be proven. It can't be right. speculated. It's not about necessarily what he knew. It's about what the government can prove that he knew. And I like that's sort of the point that I was making earlier is I ex- fully expect, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe these people are ironclad and nobody's going to talk and they're all going to protect him and take mm-hmm. the fall. And, you know, that, that'll be their perspective. But I have a feeling out of 14 people... The the odds of somebody talking are high. And right. then we'll have to see what that person says. Are they going to blame other people that are then going to be arrested? Are they going to point the finger to the top? But the question is, Is does somebody have the, we'll call it chutzpah, <laughs> to point the finger at, at Blatter and say, you know, he did it. But, my, you know, I have another interesting question that comes into, and I don't you know, want to jump us ahead too far, but um, there's a whole other thing going on with Putin, right? Putin mm-hmm. was, like, denouncing this whole thing. So, like, what's Putin's deal? Why is he annoyed about this? Because this comes back to the political politics, sort of. And, you know, the U.S. government and the Russian government, again, sort of seeing themselves in conflict. So can you kind of give me an idea? Because that was one thing I was confused about. Well, uh, the next World Cup is 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 taking place in in Russia. Mm. Uh, So with all of these, you know, they're talking about stuff that goes back to 24 with um with uh, South Africa landing the 2010 World Cup, uh, one of one of the people who who uh, was indicted is Jack Warner, uh, one of the f- uh, VPs of uh, FIFA uh, from Trinidad. So in in 2004, it was reported that Monaco offered him one million dollars to to vote that Monaco get the World Cup. South Africa then came and and offered to send ten million dollars to uh, a group he controlled. You know, simple math. Right. Right. You know, I'm going to take the ten million over the one million, and and so he voted for South Africa, and South Africa got the World Cup. And there's it's almost impossible to 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 guesstimate how much a country makes. When yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, I was gonna say, so you, do you think maybe there's something with Putin, Putin's concern, because he may have, or his Absolute, government may have been involved? I in think what this shows is no country is landing the World Cup without greasing mm. several palms. I right. mean, right. I, I think that's what this is all telling us. Right. Now, with as many allegations of corruption as there already are in, in, in Russia— who knows what happens when you start looking into how did how did Russia secure the, the, the World Cup? You know, was Putin directly involved? Was he indirectly involved? That's a that's a can of worms. He clearly doesn't want opened. So when he can denounce it and, and then take shots at the United States, that's an opportunity that that that. 
Putin doesn't miss an opportunity to take a shot. Right. He's not going to miss that opportunity. Exactly. Um, Speaking of that, I know we have uh, probably time for one more question before we go on break. But um, Alyssa kept mentioning somebody is probably going to talk out of the 14 people who are indicted. And I wanted to bring up the fact that someone was talking and that's why these charges even came about. Um, Do we know exactly who pulled the cover and exposed all of this corruption? Uh, to my knowledge, no. But this person wasn't at a high enough level to to get all the way to to set bladder. Um, the the level below him, which is pretty extraordinary. Um, but but as you mentioned, he seems to be very well insulated. Yeah. Uh, to where he's only communicating with with a few key people. I mean, it's I very would. similar to how the big banks operate, which mm-hmm. is that, you know, the person and, and actually I'm mentioning the big banks because they're involved in this. <laughs> There's a lot of the, uh, I don't know if you saw the image that I had posted up, but I mean, the HSBC and Barclays, which are two of the biggest banks in England or in the UK, um, they're somehow involved in this because some of these monetary transactions run through the banks. So I mean, it goes back to this thing about the banks being corrupt also, oh, which yeah. is something we talked about last week when we talked about them manipulating money. And now we know that there's a good possibility that some of this laundered money may have been coming through the banks as well. And so you have what do you have tied up in this? You have politics, politicians, (laughs) you know, sports and banks all together. It's like a recipe for corrupt, you know, corrupt, corruption soup or something. No, it definitely is. And from my knowledge, the DOJ is definitely looking at those institutions from which the transactions were being exchanged to see how cognizant they were. I mean, we. We can all presume they were, but they just need the evidence to actually charge them. Um, But on that note, we actually have to take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll continue talking about the FIFA crisis and what happens now right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM radio. I am Selena Hill. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs, Esquire. Thanks. Esquire. And Darrell, the sports journalist slash mayor of Harlem. Okay, yes. guys? I'm just giving everyone all the credentials that are due. Actually starting, a, I'm actually going to be starting a trial in the Eastern District, which is where this case has been oh, nice. out of tomorrow. So, Congrats. You know, Congratulations. Sort of a, thank you. A little irony there. I'm going to be doing it with my boss. Um, so it's a good, good experience. Anyways, um, so if you're listening, we're talking about the FIFA scandal. You can give us a call if you have a comment or a question. It's 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us, heard underscore radio. Or you can leave a comment on Politically Preposterous. And just to give you a little preview, we're, later on in the show, we're also going to be talking about Texas's floods and climate change denial. And the, we'll end the show giving you an update on what's going on with the Patriot Act. Um, but for now, we're going to get back to our conversation about FIFA and um, about what's going on. And I, you know, just to answer that last question that before we went to break about who do we know who it is that's talking. Um, So that person is a confidential informant. This was a sealed indictment. It was a sealed case. It just became unsealed. Um, That person's identity is clearly concealed 
for uh, you know the same reason why somebody who spoke against the mafia's name would be concealed uh, for their protection. Um, but I presume I'm not going to go out on a limb here, but that this is somebody who kind of got caught, right? They they were caught on a wiretap or caught, I don't know, because the NSA was spying on all <laughs> <Right>? the communication. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Um, and they were caught red-handed with their hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. And they were like, well, I'm just the low man on the totem pole, but if you really want information <laughs> on who's really doing the dirty, I'll I'll give you that information. And so they became the government's informant and they started to talk. And based on their talking, the government started to investigate some of their claims and that level the led the government from one place to another and eventually to realizing that they could indict 14 people, which is another thing that we should clarify. Like for people, an indictment is not a conviction. No. It's it's an allegation that these people, uh, you know, may have committed this crime. It doesn't mean they did. We should be very clear about that. Now, obviously, there's lots of speculation around the world of FIFA that this this isn't something new and that corruption has been widespread for a long time. But at least from a legal perspective, we should note that until there is either a plea or a trial, right. these people are presumed to be innocent. Right. So, I mean, speaking of that, Darrell, do you, can we, is it safe to presume that this will go to trial? Like, what happens next um, in this investigation? Do you think that they will find some charges on a uh, set bladder? Or do you think that the four people will probably go into trial? I think in, in cases like this, and Alyssa can, can certainly clarify if I'm, correct but in cases like this they're they're usually pleased that it worked out i mean they've 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 caught you know you 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 mentioned uh, the 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 cookie jar this is you know like the money bag yeah. you know they've literally got caught with their hands in a in a bag you know with 150 million dollars you know um and that's the money that you know doj knows about you know there's you know how many other millions tens of millions hundreds of millions of dollars that was exchanged that they probably don't know about right and this has the uh, the potential to become even more widespread as i pointed out with like politicians we Absolutely. don't know like there's politicians from other countries and they may enjoy a certain amount of immunity that the officials of fifa might have because heads of state um generally enjoy some type of like political immunity when it comes to prosecution not always that's mm -hmm. um but you're going to start to see I think it has the ability to become a lot more widespread. You're going to see that certain countries have officials, uh, political officials, people in high positions in cabinet, very closely connected to prime ministers um, that were involved with making or taking bribes in order to get soccer to come to their country. Um, and, and I also, yeah, to go on your point, I do think that a lot of it will re be resolved via plea. Uh, because people are going to say, well, I'll take the plea and I'll talk for leniency. But certain people, the higher up you go, the less likely you are to take a plea because there's nobody else to roll over on, right? If right. you're up at the top. So, like, if the buck stops with Sepp Blatter, as you put it, Sepp Blatter can't roll over on anybody <laughs> else. Right. So if he was to get indicted, and he hasn't been yet, but hypothetically speaking... If he has nobody to roll over on, then he has no incentive necessarily to take the plea to talk because who is he going to – there's nobody higher to be talking about, whereas people that are lower down. I mean, that's how these investigations work. Mm -hmm. You see that the government does this when it comes to drug dealing, when it comes to large-scale – I'm not talking about drug dealing like state – 
drug dealing. I'm talking about like big, large cartel operations. Like they get the people that are moving a kilo in order to get the people who are moving a hundred kilos, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's the same kind of calculation that's happening here. Um, the difficulty is that there's no physical like drugs, right? There's, right. There, you know, there's, it's all about who said what to whom. And also can, just because somebody accepted money, you have to be able to prove that this person gave something in return and that the something that was given in return was given because of the money. Like, so you can prove, you have to have a quid pro quo. So you right. might be able to prove the quid, but if you can't prove the pro quo or you can't prove that what the person got in return was directly connected to the money that they received, and, and that can be very challenging. But I will say, when it comes to federal indictments and investigations, generally speaking, I, it, you know, because I've done criminal defense in both the state and federal level, usually when the feds come, they come with all their ducks in a row. They, right. That's why there's a four-year investigation. That's why you don't see arrests for a long period of time, because right. they get their stuff yeah, right. together, they, they, so to speak, before they, before even, they do it. It's right. not like... I think I saw somebody shake hands at the bodega, <laughs> right. and now I'm going to arrest them because they might have been selling not, drugs. Right. Right? Not at all. So where will this take a soccer or, or football moving forward, Darrell? Like, what, what happens um, to, to football, just the sport itself? You want to, you know, obviously any opinion I give you would be my honest opinion, but fans don't care. <laughs> <laughs> That's my honest opinion. You know, um, I think... You know, we we see this in football. You know, we've we've had you know abusive men in relationships. But if he's you know scoring touchdowns for your teams or sacking the quarterback or making interse intercepting the ball, making big plays for your team, all of a sudden we don't care about right. how bad of a person this is. They're they're making my team win. You know, even Alex Rodriguez, yeah. you know, um, one of the most polarizing figures in, 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 in U.S. sports. No one predicted he would be playing as well as he's playing right now. And all of a sudden, the criticism, right. for the most part, has disappeared. He's getting cheered at Yankee Stadium. He's getting booed everywhere else, yeah. but he plays for your team. You know, he's getting a standing ovation. I think... People love the game of, of, of football, soccer. Um, so I think fans will still root very hard for for their country, for their teams. And, and I think they'll ig ignore this mainly because, again, people already assumed this was going on already. So it just it just confirms what many people believed, uh, that there was corruption in soccer. And there's corruption in almost anything where involving a lot, lot of, of money right well that's a really the bigger question which is aside from the fans because i agree with you mm -hmm. i think the fans are going to be apathetic mm -hmm. you know because people that's what a lot of people should understand here in america is that soccer is the biggest sport mm -hmm. in the world more people play and watch soccer than any other sport on the planet i mm -hmm. mean like you look at a football stadium that holds like what's an average football stadium holds sixty thousand people yeah. you look at some of these soccer stadiums and i've been yeah. to some of them they hold a hundred thousand people right. i mean this is a huge wow. huge thing does that mean soccer players get paid more than other athletes yes um uh, Floyd Mayweather like, is the is the highest paid athlete in the world, but the second is a is a uh, 
Cristiano yeah, Ronaldo. Yeah, and uh, and and Messi's in the top five as well. So soccer players get get, you know, they're the highest paid athletes in the world outside of you know someone who like Mayweather who's an anomaly. Right. Uh, because he could make I mean, three hundred three hundred million dollars in a night for fighting. No, <laughs> does it change the way that FIFA does business going forward? I think that's really the bigger <laughs> question because if countries are relying on or have been relying on a certain amount of or a certain level of corruption mm-hmm. in order to get soccer events played in their, you know, jurisdiction, then does that change? Does anything change within FIFA? I think you know because this is being compared to. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of criminal organizations, I think, you know, with the mafia, with, a, you know, a big drug, drug organization, if you know the the FBI, the police are looking at you, you calm things down for a little bit. You know, you may even totally suspend operations in, in terms of any illegal dealings that you're doing. So I think they they have to stop stop you know with with the with the uh with the bribery right they have to but will they now um do they have to that really (laughs) depends on whether or not somebody goes to jail i mean this Mm. gets back to something we were talking about last week when we talked about the money manipulation with the banks you should check that episode out actually we were just talking about that last week we had an amazing show that's Um, true but if nobody goes to jail and it's just like these huge fines and slap on the <laughs> wrists and there's no deterrent effect, there's no incentive for them to stop because they're going to say, well, the amount of money that we had to pay the Department of Justice in the fine is like a drop in the bucket to the amount of money we make exactly. from continuing to do the corruption. So that's really what it comes down to. If somebody goes to jail and somebody's made an example of and they're like, OK, wait, if we continue this then more people are going to go to jail, then you may see something. But I I think that's really what it comes down to. The banks continue to do their dirt because they're like, well, it's the cost of doing business. We'll just pay the fine. Well, this sort of could be the cost of doing business for FIFA. Okay, we'll just pay the fine. Um, But, you know, you mentioned something about organized crime. I had seen some things uh, over the past few days on the Internet Mm -hmm. potentially linking higher-ups in FIFA to the Italian mafia, like the actual Italian mafia in Italy. Is there... Any truth to that, or I've I've seen the same the same things that there could be a link there, but I haven't seen anything definitive saying that that there is a link. Um, let's face it, certainly wouldn't be surprising yeah. uh, if if there was a link there, because usually where there's money and corruption, there's usually violence, mm. um, and that's one of the reasons why the person who who started this, you know, who who rolled over. Uh, is their name isn't mentioned because they might be floating in a river, mm. you know, within a week. Quite no, possibly. I mean that exactly. I mean it's like Alyssa mentioned this soup of corruption. Mm-hmm. I mean it's it's money, it's power, it's influence, and it's all within these executives, the politicians, um, and the banks. I mean, who who can you trust? It's like if they have money and power, they probably can't be trusted. And it just, I mean, it just further shows how much. how much money can buy influence in our society and every single aspect of it which is why we as regular average day people must must stay um aware and informed and educated in order to be empowered and i think that we, we should care i mean even though i know you guys mentioned like um 
the fans will be very apathetic. But I mean, when it comes to corruption, like we're fighting against the banks, mm. right? We're, we're fighting against police across the nation for and, not, and for not being held accountable for their corruption. Mm. Why shouldn't we hold these sports executives? Yeah, you like the team and you like the players, but what's wrong is wrong. And I think we should be just as adamant and just as excited about um, fighting and talking about this corruption as we do with every other aspect, um, every other part of corruption that we see in our society. Right. I mean, listen, people really uh, to to not be aware, awake or aware, uh, like just to give you a little like statistic. Right. Since 2002, FIFA spent two point two million dollars building new headquarters and two plants soccer fields in the Cayman Islands. I mean, a tiny little country like the Cayman <laughs> Islands. Why? I, I, I mean, the answer is obvious. You right. don't spend $2.2 million building a giant soccer facility in bad conditions, let me remind you, because a lot of this area is swampland, and so it's right. taken them to actually have to, like, gut it out, pour concrete underneath so that the field doesn't sink in, and then put down, you know, dirt, and then put down artificial turf. Like, it's not like an easy thing to just right. set up fields here. Um, why? Well, because the Cayman Islands is a huge tax haven. Like, there's a reason why certain things happen. They don't just, it's not like, oh, let's just build a soccer field in the <laughs> right. Caymans this week right. for $2 million. It's right. like, you know, everybody, you know, money greases the wheels and everybody's hand is getting greased somehow or another. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's all motivated by greed because they I mean, obviously like have money already. The, the Cayman Islands is ranked 191st among the world's 209 world soccer teams. But yet FIFA chooses <laughs> to build it there. Right. I mean, there's no there's there's no coincidence <laughs> there. Right. Um, obviously, uh, actually, we need to start wrapping this conversation up. But Darrell, I just wanted to give you uh, get your last words and remarks about this um case i'm pretty sure you'll continue to be following it is there anything else that we should know or be paying attention to just a couple of of i guess comical points that i wanted to mention this reminded me of the of the kevin hart will ferrell movie uh get hard because mm-hmm. uh will plays a wall street type you know who's never been to jail and you know, he's threatened with having to go to jail. And and that's what we're seeing in the cases of, of these 14 men who were indicted. These are these are suit and tie guys. Yeah. You mean white collar. Yes. Camp jail. Yes. Not like. Hardcore. <laughs> right. not, not, they won't be at Rikers. Yeah, no. and they won't be at Rikers. They won't be at Attica. <laughs> they will be at fancy. Assuming they get convicted. Um, fancy country club minimum mm-hmm. security facility. Just wanted to give you t- uh, before we wrap up two comments that. um I was getting from Politically Preposterous. One person, Ed, he just says, good, it's about time, which obviously indicates that people have known about corruption for a long time. And then Scott says he's curious to see what happens to our girls next week in the World Cup. He fears there will be bad referee syndrome. There's a women's soccer tournament coming up? Yes. And there also, uh, this was actually trending on Twitter a couple of days ago. Uh, I I believe it's EA Sports for the first time are including women soccer players on the on the new FIFA game that comes out in the fall. Uh, so that's a that's a big uh, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, now you know little girls who play that play that game can actually play with a female team against another female team. And, and what it only took like five decades. Right. <laughs> no, but I mean this is progress. Right. Oh, this is it definitely is. Pro- I, I applaud that. And and some of it by Sepp Blatter, as we mentioned, but right. you know, we have to also realize like all the good cannot necessarily right. be outweighed by all the bad. It's right. true that Sepp Blatter actually was a, a strong advocate for women in sports. Is is that true? I heard it that. It is it is true. Yeah. Right. It is true. Right. Um and and you know, 
I mean, like like you said, it's it's about time. It it would be great to see, uh, you know, female players on on basketball games, which we don't see yet. Yeah. Well, we'll continue to. <clears throat> hope and pray for that one um so on that note i, I mean i sort of gave like the, my final statement in my thought a few minutes ago because i just feel that um this corruption what the one of the reasons why it happens is you know number one uh the people who are involved in it pay off those who should be holding them accountable and another big reason is because people don't care then if we don't care then the media won't care to cover it and to continue to explore it so that's why i think that again we must stay um abreast when it comes to this type of corruption and and people should be held accountable i mean even though we feel like you know, it may not directly affect our lives. I mean, even with um, like last week, we spoke about how banks manipulate the foreign exchange currency market, even though they're stealing from every individual person who happens to be um, banking with them. They're still stealing. And if somebody was to steal a banana from a fruit cart, they will go to jail, right. even if they were hungry. So it's like, why do we not care when these big when these mostly white men with millions and billions of dollars steal? And it's just because they happen to like be doing some good in life. I and mean, it just doesn't make sense. an immense amount of privilege. Right. No, no, they, they really do. They really do. Um, but on that note, we do have to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking about other different news stories that we heard this week during the news roundup. And don't forget, next, uh, later on in the show, we'll be talking about climate change and the Texas flood. So stay tuned. Don't let your voice be heard. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM Radio. And if you guys think I'm doing an awesome job engineering and you think I'm better than Stanley when it comes to the boards, you should call us up and let us know. We'll see what happens when we get to the phone calls. <laughs> right? No, I know, right? I'll number if Selena doesn't drop a phone call today, right, then, I think then we'll be... In the green. Definitely. Um, and the number is 212-650-6903. Um, we just wrapped up a great engaging conversation about FIFA, corruption, crisis, and scandal, which is pretty much the underlying theme of every show here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. <laughs> um, and we have uh, still in the studio with us Darrell Jazz Johnson, sports and entertainer, entertainment journalist here in Harlem. I'm an entertainer, too. An entertainer. Yeah, no. Right. Look at that. That's what do you right. do? Do you perform? You've heard like, some of my freestyles before. Uh, no, I have not. <laughs> I've sent you my lyrics via text. You message. did, yeah. but I haven't I spit, heard them. I spit them. hot fire. I, we yeah. gonna, oh, can you spit something else? Right now? Yeah. I don't go I don't go. Acapulco like that. Oh. You know, well, we'll have to get you to perform one of yeah, these days. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, and we have Alyssa Fuchs here. And again, my name is Selena Hill. Um, I wanted to start off the news roundup. With some somber news. And again, this is the time of Let Your Voice Be Heard where we talk about news stories that were really important or significant, made us upset, angry, or happy sometimes throughout the week. And you can also contribute with your own story or your own comments on the stories that we give by calling us up on two, at 212-650-6903. Um, I want to start off with some news. I was at a barbecue last night, a friendly barbecue, and then one of my cousin's friends said, like, oh, um, Joe Biden's son died and I'm like who when which one and automatically I looked I googled it and I found out that it was Bo Biden um, his real name is Joseph and he died at the age of 46 from brain cancer 
Um, he also was an attorney general. He planned to run for governor. He followed his father into politics and spent the majority of his career serving uh, in the political arena and aspect. And it's it's really heart wrenching and tragic that Joe Biden's eldest son died. Um, if you are familiar with Joe Biden. In his history, you would know that he is very vocal about how he lost his first wife and his daughter in a tr- in a, a tragic accident. They just come home from uh, where they were actually just finished shopping um, during the Christmas season and they were hit by a, a tractor trailer and they the, the mother, which was Joe Biden's wife and his daughter died and his two sons were critically injured, but they survived. And now Bo, his eldest son, died last night. Well, the, the announcement was made last night. I mean, I was just like, Joe Biden had it rough. And I really enjoy him as a vice president. What do you guys think? Yeah, no, it's really very sad. From what I understand, he had been sick for quite a while. He was first diagnosed with cancer back in 2013, mm-hmm. and he had a lesion removed from his brain, and um, and they said he was getting better. And actually, he was expected to run for governor of mm-hmm. Maryland this year. Um, and then about two weeks ago, it or there was another incident a few months back. Uh, he was feeling disoriented. But then about two weeks ago, he was admitted to Walter Reed. Uh, which is a military hospital in the D.C. area. And um, apparently his condition uh, just deteriorated rapidly. So it's just very sad. You know, Joe Biden's been through, as you point out, a lot of tragedy in his life. Mm. Um, So, you know, obviously our thoughts are with the Biden family. And like, even if you're not like, even if you're conservative, right, Mm -hmm. you have to have some kind of emotional reaction. But, you know, listen, we're talking about people tweeting at the president like, nooses and stuff when the president so like we know that politics in this country is just so disgusting i expect people to continuous to say nasty things regardless Zarel, did you have a reaction to that yeah no it was just sad like you you mentioned um you know the the tragedy that that he experienced previously so it's just you know obviously you're going to feel bad for anybody who loses a child but but you know he's lost a wife before you know he's experienced severe tragedy already so it's you know uh god bless him his family and 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 i guess it says a lot about him and his character Mm. that he's been able to to achieve so much despite having you know gone through those life-changing experiences Right. I mean, it really does. And I'll continue to pray for Joe Biden, and his family, and let's definitely keep him in our thoughts. Um, I kind of want to switch gears to a way more happier topic and subject. Um, so Nicki Minaj actually did a interview with Cosmopolitan magazine and she was not holding back. If you <laughs> follow her at all, you know that she kept her 10 year uh, relationship in the dark for the majority of her career. But now that they separated, she's now dating rapper Meek Mills. So within the within the interview, not only is she talk about how she had this, you know, raunchy sex with Meek Mills and her Range Rover, but she was also <laughs> talking about something that feminists have been going crazy about. And she said, and I'm just going to quote her. This is Nicki Minaj. Um, during sex, she says, and I quote, I demand that I climax. I think women should demand that. I have a friend who's never had an orgasm in her life. In her life. I'm quoting her. That hurts my heart. It's cuckoo. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then she talks about how she teaches her friends um, how they t- teach each other how to make sure that they're being satisfied in the bedroom. And she was just like, look, I have no problem being vocal. And I think all women should be more vocal. And I don't know, I kind of, I just don't, I didn't, ex- I expect this from Nicki Minaj because I, she's very empowered. She's sexually liberated, obviously, to, to from what we know. And I think that um, she's just being vocal about something that is still very taboo, apparently. Is I mean, what did you guys think? Yeah, I, uh, I don't know what to think. I mean, <laughs> I, I was going to say, you want to talk, I, I was going to talk about somebody else being vocal about something that's not so taboo and he should know about it but i won't jump there yet i'll, I'll give you an opportunity to respond to well i would i would love to you know uh <laughs> hear a, a meek mill follow-up interview to to uh to to what nikki has to say and i'm i'm sure he would you know say hey you know um as a man i think you should want to please your lover um so it's not something that she should have to demand right it should be your goal to make sure that you're satisfied but also that your your woman is satisfied i mean that's going to keep your relationship i mean the political going if you have a comment or question about this you can give us a call 212-650-6903 but the the sort of political aspect of it is like the power dynamic Mm -hmm. of the male-based patriarchal society in which you know i was reading an article this morning actually in the new york times and i this isn't the story that i had for the news roundup i actually have a way better story um but it was about this woman who was like in a purity group and she grew up in a very conservative uh, uh town in Nebraska and like the cool thing in school was to be a virgin right and like that if you weren't a virgin you weren't popular because Christianity was like the cool thing at her high school because Mm -hmm. like that's where she grew up Um, and then eventually like she came to New York and like (laughs) you know like you know sort of like realize the the patriarchal aspect of even that you know save yourself for the man and like this that and the other thing so um and you know if that's your personal perspective that's fine you know but it wasn't her personal perspective it was like sort of being forced on her so i mean that's really the power dynamic that i like that nikki speaks to is you know is to sort of the women empowerment of the you know not necessarily and saying you know i'm gonna take control of the situation and that was kind of similar to what the woman said in this article, which was that she was going to take control of the situation, too. Um, I wanted to switch gears a second. So France just passed this new law that makes it illegal for supermarkets to throw out their food. Instead, the law requires that these big supermarkets have to sign a formal contract with food charities. And so basically, a lot of what a lot of people don't realize is like food has a sell by date. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the sell by date isn't necessarily the expiration date. Right. So even though it's past the date where you can sell it to a consumer, doesn't mean it's past the date for which it's safe to consume. And in fact, a lot of foods can be consumed well past the quote unquote sell by date. So what this law will do is essentially will link supermarkets with food banks and will say, okay, some of the food which isn't necessarily rotten or spoiled and is technically still edible, instead of you just dumping it in the trash because you can't sell it, you're going to have to donate that food to food banks. I just think that's an incredible idea. I would love to see us adopt something like that here. I know we do have some uh, some programs in New York City through the Food Bank for New York City, which mm-hmm. is located up by Hunts Point Market in the Bronx. I was watching uh, actually an episode I think it was Modern Marvels about like large scale food operations. And there was a big talk about how New York City's food banks and food shelters feed and soup kitchens feed tons and tons of people in New York City every day. And a lot of it relies on donations directly from the food, like the 
companies themselves like Kraft or et cetera, et cetera. But I think this would be a great idea to add to that other than just the food companies making donations uh, to have supermarkets, you know, have to donate some of their food to the food banks. So maybe we should take a play out of France's playbook here and uh, and roll on a law like this. Well, I'm, I would support that. Absolutely. I think uh, I've, I have experience in the event planning world. And, and I remember one time we were doing an event at, at Manhattan Center uh, on 34th and 8th. So just coming in and out of the building, we noticed there was a group of, of homeless people in, in the area. So we asked the owner of the company if we could take the food that we were about to throw out mm. after we took the stuff that we wanted to keep for ourselves. There was still a lot of food. So we asked if we could take it to the homeless people. And, and, he, and he said yes, but he wanted to make sure that we took it every label off so nothing could could show it was here just to avoid liability which right. i which i definitely understood but i think so i think there are a lot of people who who do the right thing i also think the majority of people don't do the right thing so right. i think it would be great for the government to 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 kind of strong arm people and say you know what instead of throwing this food out Give it to people who need it because there are, yeah. unfortunately, plenty of those people out there, there which really is something that, that you guys have talked about. Homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually have on the line with us Barry, who would like to let his voice be heard uh, on a comment. He has a comment on a previous story we talked about. Uh, good morning, Barry, or good afternoon, actually. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, you know, you had some mentioned something about um, somebody having received a, cl- a climax in a life and, and then. I think one of your guests, uh, host, had said something about, well, men should be, uh, should be mandated to, or something like that, obligated to, to you know, to satisfy their, 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 their lover, uh, you know, like this here. You know, I think that's part of the problem, is what's left out of the equation is really the, the affectionate intimacy. And usually if a person, you know, whether male or female, is going into this here act, you know, it, it seems like it, it shouldn't be some kind of a, 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 a you know, a prescribed thing. In other words, it's like sometimes spontaneity, you know, has its place where is, you know, the affection and intimacy is really more is what the act is about more than sex and and and, be, and accomplishing this here, you know, climax things like this here. Um, whereas what happens is if a person is uh, really uh, in a certain zone with their own intimacy and their own sensitivities, they bring their own self to a climaxes. It's not that somebody else is, you know, is doing this here big job. Okay. And what happens is many times men, they, they, they feel a sense of, of uh, uh, letting down the partner and they haven't, you know, met up to this here expectation, this manhood kind of, and that leads to a whole chain of a whole cycle, you know, psychology, you know, cycle, you know, it leads to a whole chain of what we go into the day where is, um, then the resentment sets in. Right. Um, Barry, thank you so much for that comment and calling in, guys. And remember, you can always call us up at 212-650-6903. I just wanted to clarify. So Nicki Minaj made that comment, the entertainer and the rapper. Um, she was talking about with her significant other. Um, and she does have, a, from what we understand and what we see, she does have a very intimate relationship. Um, and she was just talking about when it comes to the bedroom. She's not saying, like, I demand that I climax every time I have sex with 
about anybody. Right. No, she was I, talking about her significant other. I think he makes like sort of like just in somewhat in his point is when I think when you have a lot of intimacy with somebody, you're more likely to have the experience of getting to where you want to be. We'll say, um, mm-hmm. you know, versus when you don't have the intimacy with somebody. I definitely. I mean, that's just my personal perspective. Obviously, it's an opinion. Um, but I just also wanted. Speaking of sexual uh, allegations, I mean, there's been a lot of sexual allegations of yes. abuse and stuff this week. Yes. We had the the Duger guy who, um, <laughs> you know, was accused of molesting his uh, um, uh, uh, sister, and then uh, former House Speaker Dennis Hassert was indicted, apparently for giving bribes to have somebody cover up his sexual abuse. Um, so those were also big stories this week. But the one thing I did want to mention before we go to our, our break um, and come back, which is uh, Westboro Baptist Church found out that they should not mess with J.K. Rowling um, because apparently there was some kind of Twitter war and um, J.K. Rowling like tweeted something at Westboro Baptist and then there was some back and forth and then apparently um, somebody else like tweeted at J.K. Rowling. She wrote Harry Potter if you don't know who she is um, and she said and this person said to her that she shouldn't respond to the Westboro Baptist Church because she shouldn't give them the oxygen and publicity. And then J.K. Rowling responded to that person and said, quote, I don't care about the Westboro Baptist Church. I think it's important that scared gay kids who aren't out yet to see hate speech, sorry, to see hate speech challenged. And I think that's really an, an awesome comment because I think like too many people have this mentality, which is, you know, what, like don't say anything back to Westboro because we don't want to give them the spotlight or like don't say back to anything back to people that are hating or you know because it gives them more of a spotlight and I think there's some truth to that but at the same time there's a lot of truth to her point which is like people should see hate speech challenged it's mm-hmm. really really important and it's not necessarily about not giving Westboro more you know publicity or not giving other people more publicity it's really about the fact that you know we should challenge those those things um, and challenge them publicly. So I think she makes a great point there, um, definitely with that. Um, I know we're going to be going to a quick break, but before we do, I guess the last story I'll mention is, so Mike Huckabee apparently um, either A, doesn't know how the government works, or B, <laughs> just likes to pander to idiots. But for some reason, he likes to continue to say this thing that the Supreme Court, like the president doesn't, I'm sorry, the gov, like states don't have to listen to the Supreme Court, or, you know, the state legislatures can overrule the Supreme Court. And I just wanted to clarify, like, a little civics lesson. I happen to think that Mike Huckabee knows that this isn't true, and he's just saying it because mm-hmm. the people who vote for him or, you know, buy his book, like, believe it to be true. But when the Supreme Court makes a ruling, that applies to everybody. And the only way to change that ruling is to pass a constitutional amendment. Um, so don't listen to Mike Huckabee because he doesn't know what he's talking about. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we... No, no really quickly. Not. I have Miss Deborah on the line who wanted to make a comment. Um, and I wanted to get her in. We had another call. But Miss Deborah, are you still there? Yes, I am. Okay, I go ahead. I just wanted to say about Nicki Minaj... I feel very, I feel very, um, I mean, she's allowed to say whatever she wants, and she gave the interview, and that's her business. But if she were in a, in a, if she were being given this interview about what was between women's ears as opposed to between their legs, she would probably not be given that interview. I mean, that's a good point, Alyssa. Yeah, no, yeah. I think that is a good point, because, I mean, because like... she's not the first person to ever have sex, and she's not going to be the last one. Right. And, I, you know, I, I just, I, I, to me, I'm just, okay, fine. You had the interview, next. 
mean? <laughs> right. No, no, we definitely think, agree with you I there, Ms. Deborah. I mean, I think there's a point there to be made that she could have talked about so many other things in this interview. And I'm sure she did talk about other things just than this. But, like, she could have talked about, you know, how she, um, you know, like, about staying in school and telling mm-hmm. young people, like, young females about how, like, look, you could... You can be good at English and you could be good at putting together lyrics and making art and music. And yet she chose to talk about sex, which, you know, to some people say, well, that's female empowerment. But I agree. You know, Miss Deborah definitely has a point there. There's other things she could have done to empower women. On that note, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about Texas and floods and climate change. So stay with us. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard Radio on WHCR. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM Radio, where we love our listeners, even if they don't love us back. Um, if you're just tuning in, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs and Darrell Jazz Johnson. And we've been having a great show. Uh, thanks so much for hanging out with us on this Sunday morning now afternoon. And we're just going to move the show right along because I think it was like, 31 people so far, um, at least, have died in the past week because of the flooding, the historic flooding that's been going on in Texas and in Oklahoma. The majority of people actually died in Texas. Um, And then you have a handful of people who died in Oklahoma because of these massive floods. In Houston, many highways turned into waterways and more than 1,000 cars were submerged underwater. Uh, the damage became so extensive, extensive that Texas Governor Greg Abbott uh, declared nearly 40 co- counties disaster areas. In addition, President Obama pledged to offer federal assistance to help the state's recovery and cleanup effort. So, while this historic, these historic floods have been hitting Texas um, just after they started recovering from an extreme drought, scientists like Bill Nye, the science guy, him and a lot of other scientists have been using this disaster as an opportunity to start the dialogue about climate change. And I just want to say Bill Nye made a great point. He went on CNN and he was like, you know, the one thing that meteorologists are not talking about and cannot say while they give these reports is the word climate change they just can't do it because it's quote-unquote polarized in our society and it shouldn't be because 97 percent of all scientists internationally around the world agree that climate change is contributing to extreme weather patterns and it is man-made but despite the facts despite the truth of the matter you have a number of republican right-wing politicians Uh, especially those who are running for office in 2016 to be president, they're saying, you know, well, I'll give you an instance. Uh, Texas Senator Ted Cruz actually said, uh, and I quote, uh, he's been criticizing people who've been talking about climate change. And he says, quote, he's been calling them global warming alarmist. So people like Bill Nye, the science guy, and people like the 97 percent of the scientists who say, hey, wake up, world, let's actually do something about this tragedy. He calls them just global warming alarmists. You know, and it pisses me off to no end because like this, like 
we should be alarmist about this. Like we have California has no water in their sn- no snow in their snowpack at all. Like none. There's dry grass. They are in a huge major drought. Texas was in a major huge major drought, and now they've been flooded out in a matter. You know, and actually, if you didn't know, right now in New York City, although it's supposed to rain today and tomorrow, we're currently experiencing drought conditions in the five boroughs over the past two weeks, and. You know, the reason why I I don't want to be like alarmist, but (laughs) it's like the reason why this is so important is because it affects a lot of different like extreme weather affects our food supply, our water supply, uh, a global commerce. Even you've had people like Coca-Cola have come out and said that global climate change is affecting the supply uh, of Coca-Cola and their ability (laughs) to produce their product. So that's getting more companies involved, not oil companies, of course, but, you know, more, you know. Companies that produce consumer goods that are being affected by this issue. And ultimately, what's going to happen is we're, if nobody does anything about this issue, you're going to see a situation where the food supply dwindles. People are suffering from really bad drought conditions. There's very little water. And I'm talking that maybe this is way off in the future, but eventually it leads to a situation where you have very little resources and a planet of how many, be- 9 billion people on the planet now, all competing for very limited amount of resources because we decided not to do anything about this problem. Right. Um, and I, I want to actually open it up to our our guest we have on the line. We have Ryan Towell, who is the Science and Solutions Director for the Climate Reality Project, which is a non-for-profit founded by former Vice President Al Gore that is devoted to solving the climate crisis. Good afternoon, Ryan. I know I butchered your last name. Can you please correct me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, let me say thank you for inviting me on the program because you know, this is a very important topic, certainly one that I care about. It's obviously one that you all care about, just hearing hearing the lead-up to my introduction here. And my last name is Towel, just like a beach towel, only with two L's. <laughs> there you go. That's not, you can't screw that one up. <laughs> well, you know, and I, what struck me with what you were just talking about, you know, and Bill Nye and, and meteorologists not being able to talk about climate change, well, I have kind of a unique perspective on that because I am a meteorologist, and I actually was a television meteorologist early in my career uh, in all places, Texas, <laughs> for a few years, and then Minnesota. And, you know, he's absolutely right. You have meteorologists that are afraid to mention climate change, even if, if you know, they believe in it and they understand it and they understand the issue. Because, again, you, you don't want to potentially polarize your viewers. You're trying to get as many viewers as possible. So, yeah, there's a real reluctance there of meteorologists to talk about climate change. And, and at least, you know, when we have these extreme weather events going on, talking about how climate change may have been a factor. But I'm seeing a trend that more and more of these TV meteorologists are willing to talk about it. And they are willing to, to have those conversations. They're, they're engaging with their, their viewers and they're engaging uh, with their followers on social media. Um, in Chicago, for instance, sort of the weather god of Chicago, Tom Skilling, he's on WGN. You know, he talks about climate change with growing frequency. And you know, he tells his viewers and his followers on Facebook and, and social media that he's had a real change of thinking on climate change. You know, he was really skeptical in the 90s, but, you know, we see the trends, we see what's happening on our weather maps, 
things that we would only expect to see maybe once in our lifetime, and they're happening again and again. And it's really becoming difficult to overlook the data and the, the increasing amounts of studies that show what climate change is doing to our weather and and the impacts that it might have if we don't take action. Yeah, no, and uh, you know, it, it pisses me off to no end when we have meteorology. I mean, this shouldn't. My point is, this shouldn't be a politicized issue. You're a meteorologist. Your job is to give people the facts about what the weather is and about what the climate is and how the cl- the climate and the weather are different, but how they're related. And to sure. say that you are not going to give people accurate information because you may offend their political sensibilities yeah. to me is just absurd. In fact, it's it's yeah. wrong. It's almost to the point where it's unethical. No. It, it, it is. I agree with that, Alyssa. But um, so, Ryan, I want to know, can you is there a strong correlation or any correlation between the floods and climate change? Well, here's the thing. You know, we don't look at these extreme events in isolation. This, this flooding in Texas now is unusual, to say the least. Um, even as of Friday, looking at the, the weather records, Texas had already surpassed this month, May 2015, being the wettest month on record, the records go back to the 1800s. So in Oklahoma, for instance, it's already the wettest May on record, and it was still raining yesterday across parts of Texas and Oklahoma. So those records are going to be exceeded even more. It's wrong to look at a single event in isolation. So you want to look at, when we're talking about climate, you're talking about years, and you're talking generally about periods of 30 years or more What's very clear are the trends. We're seeing a trend of heavier downpours. We're seeing a trend of the heaviest of heavy precipitation events occurring more frequently. Um, In the National Climate Assessment that was just released a little over a year ago, most of the United States has seen a significant increase in the frequency of of these heavy rain events. Uh, The central U.S., including Texas, has seen about a 16% increase over the past several decades of these events. So it would be wrong to look at a single event, but the trends are very clear that that climate change is having a very direct impact on certain types of extreme weather events like heavy rainfall, heavy precipitation, flooding, drought. You know, you mentioned drought in Texas. They had a multi-year drought from about 2010 through even this year, much of the state was in extreme or exceptional drought. So now they've gone from that to much of the eastern two-thirds of the state seeing above normal rainfall and eliminating most of the drought. So it's, I've heard the term thrown around, weather whiplash, and I think that's pretty, pretty apt here. With climate change, we're seeing these extremes going from one extreme to the other. So it, it really is it's hard for people to plan for that. It's hard for emergency managers to to be able to keep up with these extreme weather events. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, certainly, you know, looking at the trends, we're seeing it. We're seeing. We're seeing how climate change is impacting us. We definitely are. Again, guys, if you are just tuning in, we have Ryan Towell on the line with us. He is from the Climate Reality Project, a nonprofit that is funded by Vice President Al Gore. Um, on that note, we are going to go on a quick break, but don't go anywhere because we're going to continue talking about the historic floods in Texas and how climate change is a factor right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard.
And we are back. Uh, this is Alyssa Fuchs. I'm here with Selena Hill and with Darrell Johnson. And uh, we have our great guest, Ryan Towell, on the line. And we are talking about climate change and about Texas and about the floods and everything that's going on and how they're all uh, interconnected. I just wanted to mention, I like see a certain amount of weird hypocrisy in it, is that <laughs> you have a group of people that, you know, not everybody. I'm not going to say everybody in Texas, but you have a large group of people in Texas that for whatever, whether it's their political ideology or they're just like very anti-regulation and they see climate change as another way to be able to regulate industry, which is something that they don't want, despite the fact that, you know, that could mean ill effects later on, which may not even affect them, but may affect their children and their children's children. and really should be something about they care about because we only get one planet. Um, and yet, they're being now directly affected because a lot of times we say people don't wake up to these things so they're directly affected and they're finding other ways to pawn off the blame. I mean, I was reading an article the other day where a guy said that, you know, this is God's way of telling us we have too much stuff. It's not climate change. (laughs) God's just telling us we have too much stuff that we need to get rid of. And, you know, it's like, really? And then there's another level of hypocrisy in that it's like last week, Texas was getting ready to secede. And the governor of the state was talking about how Obama and was coming to round people up and put them in FEMA camps. And there's this whole scandal about how, you know, we needed the National Guard in Texas to monitor the military's actions. And now a week later, Greg Abbott's like running to the federal government, like, oh my God, we need help. And now people are standing on FEMA lines. (laughs) The same FEMA that they thought is coming to round them up and put them in the FEMA Walmart camp last week. So there's like a certain amount of crazy to this also. It is. Um, Ryan, do you have a response to that? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it would probably get me into trouble. But you're right. You're right. You, you see politicians who are actively denying that either climate change is not happening or it's certainly not human cause. We have these natural cycles, so flooding, drought, it's always happened, which is true. It's true. But the change that we're seeing in our climate now is in largely proportional to the carbon pollution that we've thrown into our atmosphere. We've, since the Industrial Revolution, thrown this carbon pollution into the atmosphere like it was an open sewer, and of course, now we're, we're seeing the impacts of that. We're seeing it through the, the warming of the globe, about a, a degree and a half since the 1800s. We're seeing an increase in these extreme weather events. And some people still choose to, to deny or remain skeptical about our role in it, and, and that denial, unfortunately, is to some extent, in some states or in some countries, uh, preventing us from taking meaningful action. I'm hopeful, though, that you know market forces are, are taking over to a great extent. Texas is leading the U.S. in terms of wind power. It has uh, just an astronomical uh, potential for solar energy, of course, being as far south as it is. And the cost of renewable energy is coming down all the time uh, as technology improves and as more of the technology is adopted. Uh, battery technology is is making renewable energy more viable than ever, and we're seeing investors move in the direction away from fossil fuels and toward renewable energy. So these politicians are going to have a really hard time, you know, preventing the move to a a clean energy economy. Even so, we have an opportunity this year, a, a unique opportunity. At the end of the year, 
we're going to have uh, climate negotiators and and heads of state from all over the world meet in Paris to hammer out an international climate agreement. Countries are already coming forward with their commitment to reducing uh, greenhouse gases, carbon pollution, and and we're seeing um, some really substantial commitments being made. And we're hoping that you know during the course of the next several months and leading up to that negotiation that more countries will come on board and make commitments to to move to more sustainable sources of of renewable energy. So, yeah, there are deniers out there, and unfortunately, some of them are elected officials. But, you know, this show is about using your voice. Well, you can use your voice to vote for those politicians out there that aren't denying climate change and that aren't trying to prevent action. Right. I mean, to me, it's there's like a certain extent of that. I, I really think some of these politicians don't actually believe the denial. They just are in the pockets of big fossil fuel industries. And so even though personally they may be like, OK, I, I understand the science. I'm a smart person um, and I really do think we're causing this. But like professionally, I'm going to say something else because, you know, money greases the wheels, as we spoke about earlier. And, you know, if the fossil fuel industry is giving me massive handouts in order for me to be able to use for my reelection, then I'm not going to say anything bad that may hurt the fossil fuel industry. So I'm going to come out against this, even if I personally believe that the science is correct. I mean, speaking of um, coming out against things, even if it's factual and based, um, well, that was a horrible segue. I just wanted to say we have Taman <laughs> uh, on the line with us in Texas, friend of the show. Um, and we all know Taman does lean right. So, Taman, I'm going to put you on the air. I know you only have a few minutes, but, you know, you have a different perspective. You're calling in from Texas. You witnessed the floods firsthandedly. Um, what is your take on climate change? Do you think that the lawmakers in your state should stop denying climate change and start actually taking some action? Well, I think they should. The rhetoric has been awfully used. I think that they should not. Um, I think a lot of the rhetoric that's been used amongst uh, a lot of the politicians in Texas have been uh, very, uh, very odd, very extremely odd, because um, there, Texas has had a very unusual month, as you guys know. We've had a lot of rain, a lot, a lot of rain fall in the last uh, month. But before the rain came, it was a huge drought for about three years, and it was a very California-like drought. It was severe. When I got here in February, everybody was wondering where was water, where was some type of rain or water, and then, you know, March and April was bad. And then in May, uh, the month of May, it literally rained dog near every day. It's, actually, it's, sun, it's sunny for the first time. It feels like in a couple of weeks, two, three weeks. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the politicians, I think this, it's something they should look into. On, and on how they, The question is, is how do you get it done without violating individual rights and without, without uh, violating state rights? But that is a good question. Um, Ryan, how would you actually respond to that? How can we put forth some solutions without, as Taman said, you know, violating individual rights? Well, you know, some of the arguments that have been used about climate action or, or some of the legislation or policies against climate action have been to, to put up barriers in, in terms of, remo- you know, moving toward renewable sources. So that's an easy place to start. Make your politicians, you know, tell them that you don't want these barriers. You want more choice, in fact, to be able to, to put solar on your house and, and potentially feed into the, to the grid. So, you know, there are a lot, there's a lot of obstruction to moving toward renewable sources. And, 
you know, there are solutions available that policy and otherwise that we can remove some of those barriers and make the, the transition easier and, and allow for more personal choice and freedom. No, I think that's a great point. I mean, it's all, like there's, I believe, in one of the states, it's actually illegal to put, they passed a law, the government said that you can't put solar panels on your own home. Like, the, and, and it was actually a Republican-led, very conservative legislature that did it. And to me, that's the antithesis of individual choice. Because if we care about individual choices, then you should have the opportunity to say, I want to put solar panels on my home. I want to put this wind farm, you know, if I have the money and I want to pay for it, and it's my individual choice, who is it the government to say that I can't use this renewable source of energy. So there's definitely, it's two sides of that same coin. And and just to the point of, you know, respecting, you know, like the federal government, I think Jason had mentioned this one, t- one time when he was here, the federal government has the power to regulate certain things for the general welfare of the United States. And what it comes down to it is, you know what? I am a very much like very things. Civil liberties are very important, but sometimes there's a certain amount of civil liberty you have to give up for the whole, the greater good of the whole. And the greater good of the whole here is we as a country should care about this issue because it affects everybody in our country. And we can't be so selfish as to say, well, I'm a fossil fuel producer and I only care about my bottom line, you know, and so I don't care about how I'm affecting everybody else in the world because guess what? Everybody else in the world, they're your consumer. And so if you don't care about them and you only care about your bottom line and then, you know, climate change gets worse and worse and worse as, you know, I expect it will if we don't do anything and most scientists do then at the end of the day there's going to be no consumers to buy your product because uh, you know the scarce like the the issue of scarcity as i pointed out Darrell, do you want to chime in there yeah i, I had a i had a question for 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 mr towel a, a general question what are some areas in the united states and in the in in the world in general that are most affected by uh climate change well, you know, one of the one of the areas in the world that's most affected by climate change, and, and they're already affected, are coastal areas. You know, sea levels are rising uh, around the globe, um, roughly eight inches of sea level rise since the late 1800s. So, coastal areas are are seeing even sunny day flooding now at high tide that they didn't experience before. So there's there's more infrastructure. And, and more population that's being impacted by sea level rise. They're able to see that. They're, they're having to deal with it now in terms of, of uh, building seawalls or, or raising structures along the coast because they're getting flooded at some recurrent interval now that didn't happen whenever they were built however long ago. So, you know, those are areas that we can see and we can feel right now. Uh, other parts of the globe, obviously, are, are dealing with these extreme weather events, and they're happening more frequently, and whether it be drought or, or heat waves or heavy rainfall and flooding. So, you know, I think folks are, are seeing that, um, seeing their, their homes flooded not once, not twice, but, you know, multiple times over a period of a few decades, whereas, you know, 50 years, 60 years ago, maybe they didn't see that. So, so people are, are experiencing it in a way that you know, previous generations hadn't, and and you know they they know they know something's going on, and and it's something that they can't ignore because they're being directly impacted by it. But in a certain sense, I feel like they 
some not a, there's a small group of people out there that are literally floating down the river while saying, you know, this isn't being caused by climate change. Like I had mentioned at the beginning of the show, I saw a political cartoon this morning of a guy using holding using like it was a political cartoon of a guy using his like anti-Obama, anti-climate change, like climate change is a liberal plot. I think the right. sign said and he was like using it a ref while being like, honey. Honey, I, I can't find the house anymore. So I think like I and that's my sort of my question for you, uh, Ryan, which is how do we get to convince these people who are being affected now, who are seeing these things with their own eyes and yet are still convinced that, you know, this is, I don't know, biblical or, you know, something to that. Side. I mean, like, th- those are some of the comments you're hearing, which is like, this is God is punishing us and stuff. And like, this has nothing to do with science. It's not about whether like, I mean, how do we reach? Is there a way to reach those people? Or is there just going to be a certain group of people that we don't reach? Well, what you have just described, you know, it explains why we have my organization and organizations like mine have our work cut out for us. And a big step in moving in the right direction is just education, education around the issue. You know, what is climate change? What sort of impacts are we having? What can we expect in the future? And, you know, actions that we can take to try to mitigate those, those potential future, future impacts of climate change. So education goes, I think, a long way to, to changing that conversation, the tone of the conversation, and, and hopefully moving us in the right direction toward toward support for solutions. Now, you know, having said that, there's still a, a segment of the population that, for whatever reason, you know, ideology or, or otherwise, that just isn't convinced, and it's going to be very difficult to reach those those folks. And one of the reasons why they may not be convinced is that you have a very vocal sort of minority out there and, and certain media that, that you know, continues to, to give airtime to climate uh, change denialists. And, and certainly, you know, it could be very confusing for someone, for a viewer who's at home and, and hearing why they shouldn't believe the science when, like you mentioned earlier, the vast majority of scientists, something like 97% of those scientists that are working on this very issue are very clear that climate change is happening and that humans are the primary cause. I've seen some surveys, I've seen several surveys that, that show that the population, particularly the American population, they either haven't been exposed to that sort of statistic that, you know, scientists are not confused. The vast majority of them are not confused about the issue. They're very clear of what's happening and why it's happening. And, and so we're trying to really make a push to, to really inform the public that, you know, look, the, science, the scientists are not confused on this issue. They're, they're, they know what's happening. They know the cause, and, and they understand what we need to do to, to try to mitigate it. Yeah, no, definitely. I, just to give you guys two comments that we're getting from Politically Preposterous, obviously, if you have a comment, you can tweet us at Be Heard Radio or give us a call, 212-650-6903. Um, we have Michael, who obviously is being sarcastic, but he says, the floods have nothing to do with climate change. God brought them on to punish. And then he put a blank and he wrote fill in the blank. And I happen to know Michael very well. And so I know he's being sarcastic here. But like, that's sort of what I was just saying. Like, there really are people that are taking that position. And then Marie says... Um, 
to answer our question, what will it take to end climate change denial, which is the question we posed right. as part of our segment, she said when climate change becomes a moneymaker, mm. when they start to realize yeah. that they can make money off of it like they can make off the fossil fuels. And I, I think our guest sort of mentioned that about renewables. And I think that's sort of Marie's point. When renewables really become the moneymaker, that's when the people will start taking this more seriously because they'll be like, oh, we can make money off of this. No, that, that's very true. And Ryan, we actually, I'm starting to wrap up this conversation. But before we do, um, can you just again, just uh, take us home with what should and can be done on both a federal level to combat uh, climate change and what should be done in, in Texas? I mean, their level of preparedness didn't seem like it was there to me. And I feel like the politicians, because in this conservative state, uh, they're very anti-climate change. They're not doing anything about it to be prepared for the next disaster. Well, you know, it's interesting because every state, every community generally has what is called a hazard mitigation plan. It looks at the hazards that may impact that community or that state, and it comes up with a list of actions to try to mitigate those hazards. This is something that FEMA requires for states and communities to be eligible for various grants after disasters happen. FEMA has changed the requirements that beginning next year, states and communities have to address climate change in those plans. Texas right now, the plan, there has a mitigation plan, does very little in terms of analysis around climate change and how that might impact hazards in the future. So, you know, states and communities are going to really be forced to grapple with this issue beginning next year as they update their plans. Internationally, like I mentioned, you know, in Paris, we have a real opportunity to, for, for countries to come together to look at what they can do in terms of reducing carbon pollution or increasing the move toward renewable energy to, to combat climate change and, and to really take action. So we're hopeful that, um, that countries will do the right thing and that they will be willing to negotiate. You know, you have even some of these small developing nations like the Philippines who see the urgency of even them. You know, they historically are responsible for very little of the carbon pollution in the atmosphere, but they see the need for every country to take action. So we're very hopeful that at the end of this year, we'll have a really a step forward in meaningfully addressing climate change. At an individual level, you know, work with us. We train climate leaders all around the globe. We have about 8,000 trained climate leaders. We equip them to be able to talk about the issue to to the, their networks, their friends, their family, their coworkers, the people that they see in everyday life. We have these trainings around the world. We have two trainings coming up, one in Toronto in July, another one in Miami coming up in September. Mr. Gore will be at these trainings, and, and he equips these leaders to go out in their community and to really press for action in their countries. And and we really see these sort of peer-to-peer conversations as a way to really motivate action out there in, at the individual level. Ryan, you have been a, a phenomenal guest with us today on the show. And um, we're really happy uh, with all the work and the progress that the Climate Reality Project is doing. Unfortunately, we do need to wrap up this segment um, again. But I just wanted to give you just time to tell our listeners how they can get in contact. I know you mentioned the trainings that are going on a- across the country. Um, what, what's the website or the Twitter handle that they should reach if they're interested? Well, you know, a good place to start is just to visit our website. You're at climaterealityproject.org, 
Um, we're also on Facebook and Twitter, so you can certainly look for us there. But, you know, come in and learn about our organization and and ways that you yourself can help take action against climate change. Yep. So definitely check that out again, guys. The Climate Reality Project. Thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us here today. I just wanted to wrap up to give my final take on climate change and the climate change deniers. I mean, let's just think very, very matter of factly about this. Would you vote for or support an elected official who adamantly came down against the, the research between cancer and cigarette smoking? What if they were like, there's no, I mean, all, even though 99% of science supports this claim, we, you know, there's still that 0.1%. And, you know, what, what would you say? I mean, you can't even justify something like that. And that's literally what these people are doing. The climate change denier movement is very powerful and they're, and they're funded. They get paid to say stuff like this. Believe me. I mean, they just have no humanity because climate change is something that is hurting everyone in the world. But most uh, but most of all, they're hurting disproportionately. They're hurting people of color in vulnerable communities, the disenfranchised, the poor, the working class. These are the people that get hurt the most when it comes to climate change. And it's something that we all should be taking action and working towards as a global society, if you are a humane person with a heart, I think that you should stop taking this these backroom deals with the fossil fuel community and oil companies and start doing stuff that will help your constituents and your future grandchildren. And if you don't have grandchildren, they will still be succeeding generations. So let's take that in consideration. Um, but on that note, we are going to have to take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll come back and Alyssa is going to give us a breakdown on why the Patriot Act will finally see its last days. And we are back. So um, I'm back. I'm I'm here with Selena Hill and Darrell Johnson. I'm going to tell you about why the Patriot Act may be ending forever, um, but it may not. We don't know. Congress is actually in session right now. That's right. They are working on a Sunday. And they are working on a Sunday because they don't work the rest of the year. <laughs> and they put off things until the last possible minute that they can put them off. And then they're like, Oh, my God, we didn't get anything done, and now we have to work on Sunday. So, you know what? If you don't want to work on Sunday, then you should actually do your job the rest of the time you're there. That's my advice for Congress. Anyways, getting back to the actual Patriot Act itself. So, the Patriot Act, and specifically Section 215, which is the section that allows the government to collect a lot of metadata um, on Americans. We had a whole show on that we talked about homegrown terrorism and about the Patriot Act, um, and that was a few weeks back. You should definitely check that that show out if you want a bigger, broader explanation of this topic. Um, but at least for now, I wanted to give sort of an update, which is um, the Patriot Act Section 215 has a section in it which is basically called a sunset provision. And what it means is that um, unless the House and the Senate come together and they pass a bill to renew some of these uh, or tweak some of these provisions in this controversial law, that on June 1st, these the government will lose its power to be able to do some of these surveillance techniques that have been so controversial, especially since Edward Snowden leaked that the government was doing all this spying a few years back. So um, lawmakers had initially proposed, uh, the House had passed one bill, um, and that was called the Freedom Act, and we mentioned that, and I had said I personally didn't think it went far enough, um, but, you know, and that I would prefer to see the Patriot Act Section 215 sunset if the lawmakers didn't 
didn't do anything, um, but that, you know, if they were going to pass a new bill, I would have preferred it over, you know, them repassing a full authorization of Section 215. So the House passed this bill, and then it went to the Senate, and there's a huge ideological divide going on within the Senate, and it's between, and it actually crosses partisan lines, and there's an article about it in the New York Times this morning. If you're interested, uh, further interested, you should check that out. But basically, you have a group of... um, uh, sorry, you have a group of conservatives that are li- very libertarian, that are very civil libertarian oriented, like the Rand Paul kind of group, and they are siding with a group of liberals who are very civil libertarian oriented, somewhat like myself, um, and they're on one side of this actual ideological debate, and on the other side of this you have the more authoritarian members of Congress um, who, you know, like you have the liberal democratic defense hawks, and they're siding with the more authoritarian members of the GOP, like Mitch McConnell. And so because of this ideological divide within the Senate, they were actually unable to pass the Freedom Act. And so because they did not pass the Freedom Act, the next thing is either they have to try and pass the Freedom Act or they have to try and vote for a full reauthorization of Section 215, which they definitely don't have the votes for. I mean, they hardly had the votes for the Freedom Act because of the ideological divide. So what happens now is if they don't pass any law, then... The Patriot Act sunsets automatically June 1st. And like I said, the government loses its ability. And then it becomes more difficult for them to go back and reauthorize it, especially in today's political climate, because it's two different calculations. It's one thing to pass the Freedom Act, which gives the government some amount of surveillance, allows the government to maintain some amount of surveillance capability, but also sort of reins them in, versus passing a full renewal of the Patriot Act, especially in today's climate where you have so many people that are overwhelmingly against the government being able to mass collect data on both the left and on the right. So this is an issue that crosses lines. Uh, in fact, Schiff, um, which Adam Schiff, he is a representative. Um, he's a senior Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, and he said it was easier to get lawmakers to support the Freedom Act with its changes to existing law than it would be to reenact the entire Patriot Act if it goes away. And so essentially what he's saying is if we allow the Patriot Act to sunset, there's a good possibility that we're not going to have the political capital in order to be able to reinstate it. Um, and who knows if we're going to be able to reinstate the Freedom Act. Um, now, let's change, just to change gears a second, I'm very agitated with President Obama right now. As you know, I like President Obama. I voted for him twice. I agree with him on many issues. But I am very disappointed in him on this issue. He had come out apparently and said that it's in our own national security interest to be able to, you know, we have Congress has to do this. If he doesn't, we're going to lose capabilities. And because of ISIS, well, he said ISIL and, you know, Al Qaeda and other terrorist groups in the world, like we need these provisions. And like, I'm disappointed with the president over that because, you know, he's a constitutional lawyer. And I think from his perspective, and he knows better, he knows that this is sort of like a black. Blanket, like it's the kind of thing that when they enacted the Fourth Amendment, they wanted to prohibit, which is what's called a general warrant. And I think the president can easily say, you know what, we can get a warrant if we think somebody is, you know, we have other provisions and other tools in our tool bag that that have better protections that uh, I'm sorry, better constitutional protections for individual liberties. And I'm so disappointed that he's taking this position that we need the Freedom Act or we need to reauthorize the Patriot Act, especially when when you ask the government about these, the use of like the lone wolf provision, one of the things they want reauthorized, they've never used it. 
Mm. They've never used it. Um, the roving wiretap thing is very, very rarely used. So the provisions or the quote unquote tools in the tool bag that the president is asking Congress to reauthorize and that some more authoritarian people think we need to protect ourselves, um, like they're not very often used. And they haven't prevented anything. Right. Like, I mean, well, you never know, Alyssa. They might just find that one person out of the millions of data of phone records that they're collecting, they might just find something and they might just uh, 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 um, find something that will protect us. But, you know, I'm being facetious, but I also want to say that what about the, the speculation that they have stopped certain things, but they just haven't publicized it. You know, it's the U.S. government. It's well, the now it's the NSA. They shouldn't be that transparent with everything when it comes to security. Maybe Obama saying it for a valid reason, and he just can't explain why. No, I, I I think that's a good point. I mean, but then again, like on the other hand of that, is they a government has actually come out and said we've never used this <laughs> lone wolf provision. So it's like they're affirmatively saying that they're not saying we've never used other provisions, but right. like like at least with respect to like the lone wolf provision they're coming out and saying we've never used it so it's like you're saying you need it but you've never used it so then why do you need it um but just to give a you know to get wrapped up before we um end our show for the day and then obviously we'll be back on next sunday um like Schiff goes further to say, like, there's only one way out of this box, which is the Senate. The only way to solve this issue today, essentially, is for the Senate to pass the House bill because the House is in no mood to try and bail the Senate out. Um, and so and the, the if the Senate doesn't have enough votes even for the Freedom Act, they're not going to have enough votes to fully reauthorize the Patriot Act. So essentially what Schiff is saying, which is if we want to kind of salvage some of this and allow the government to retain some capabilities, but not the full capabilities and sort of start to rein in the NSA a little bit like the only way we could do that potentially and not to you know go against our national security interests is to pass the Freedom Act and he basically goes as far to say is that House lawmakers are not going to um you know, come up with enough votes in order to go forward with passing anything else. And so he and then also you have also Senator Rand Paul. Oh, yeah, that's that what he's going to filibuster this. Oh, and yeah. He's going to run the clock out. And he you know, definitely is because he is running for president. I don't you go. Rand Paul. I don't agree with Rand Paul on <laughs> really on everything. <laughs> but, but this one but on do. this issue, yeah. um, I stand with Rand. I know some of my friends uh, who are listening who are very libertarian minded would be happy to hear me say that. So, Jay, if you're listening, I'm standing with Rand on is, this. Is that one. a slogan? I stand with Rand. <laughs> yes, it's that's catchy. his campaign slogan. Stand with, stand Rand. with Rand. Oh, okay. So, um, and literally, because when you do a filibuster, yeah. you have to stand. Well, if you're in Texas, right, you can't even touch the podium. Oh, wow. You know when Wendy Davis did her filibuster? Yes. You remember that? Like, hours, like 13 hours. It was like 13 hours. She couldn't even stop to go to the bathroom. You don't actually have to do that in federal government anymore, although I th- would like to see that. But um, You want to see them tortured, Alyssa. Like, that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want them to actually see them, like, do their job um, and, like, do a real filibuster like they used to. On that note, unfortunately, we have to go to break, but we um we glad we're breaking to spend, and closing yeah, the we're show. Breaking it, we're closing out. We're glad to have spent the last two hours with you, and we will see you next week. Definitely, and until then, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes at LYVBH Radio. Also, you can check out our website, LYVBH.com. Thank you again, Darrell Jazz Johnson, for joining us here in the studio, and we'll see you next week.